All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, for those of you that don't really tune in to what's happening at church till around communion time, if you take your phones and you text PRAY28 uh, to 55222, you will be automatically signed up on a daily prayer reminder. And that's this, this whole thing that we're going to be going through as a church. We'll be talking about prayer uh, on Sundays. We'll have, I mean, we just got a lot of stuff that we're excited about doing uh, with regard to that. So if you guys want to get signed up, I already know how many people signed up because I checked it uh, during songs. So like, come on, let's keep, let's keep it rolling. Um, if you're listening online later and you don't know what we're talking about, just go ahead and text that. Pray 28 to 55222. All kinds of people. We'll send it out to whoever. It doesn't matter. All right. Um, we're about to start. This is our fourth and final sermon in this series. Uh, but before we really get rolling here, I, I want to just, just take a moment and read a pas- pas- passage. It's a found uh, passage of Scripture, but it's also a beautiful piece of literature. And sometimes I just don't know that we think about the Bible in terms of literature. Just like It's just beautifully worded. And of course, we're reading a, a translation, and we're not reading the original language, but just, just so well like, like thought through, and you just listen to some of these words sometimes, and they're just unbelievably amazing. And if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to read along in, in your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14, and uh, all the way through 21. If you need to power up your Bible, that's great. Do that. Whatever you need to do, turn it on, power it up, open it up. Uh, Ephesians chapter uh, 3, um, verse 14 through 21. So just, just kind of listen along, just to not only the profound wisdom, uh, but just the, the beautiful way this, uh, this is worded. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell with you, uh, dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Oh, what a good verse of scripture. Man, if that's not underlined or highlighted in your Bibles, what are you waiting for? Throughout this series, we have been uh, circling around this uh, difficult question. And it's not a question for the world at large, it's a question for people who claim to be believers of Christ. And it's, it's, it causes us to be a little reflective and maybe it causes us a little guilt or a little pain, a little angst to ask ourselves this question. But the question is this, what is going on when those of us who claim to follow Christ aren't living like Christ? What's going on there? Because I think we can all identify at least areas of our lives where we just maybe don't have our act together to the degree that we know we should. This isn't to say that we aren't growing or we haven't tried or the last few decades we haven't made some strides or some progress. We all have areas in our lives where we just know that like, what we want and what, what we're doing just don't quite match up to the degree that it should. We, we, just, we just know that. Maybe you can kind of think about what those areas are in your life. And, and, and for me, this is particularly evident when I want to do the right thing, like I desire to do the right thing, and I don't do it. 
So, for, for example, you know, maybe, in the hypothetical, and, but this is true for me as well, uh, maybe it's something like patience, and you're like, okay, you know, today, Monday morning, I am going to exhibit immense patience. You know, I'm going to be patient with, with the people around me, with the world at large, and maybe you wake up and you pray for patience, and maybe you have underlined in your Bible those scriptures that refer to patience and talk about patience, and you're like, I am going to be patient, and then the kids take a little long getting ready for school, or they leave the milk out, or they forget to close the refrigerator door, or they just don't wake up, or whatever it is, and it's like that immense patience that you wanted to have, that you desired to have, it's just like, it's gone. And maybe that's not an experience that's common to man, but that certainly happened to me, where like 10 minutes ago, I was praying, God, give me patience, and then 10 minutes later, these people whom I love have completely wasted whatever capacity I had for patience that morning. Like, what, what in the world is going on? And maybe you've had that experience, but it's other qualities. It's gratitude or joy or generosity. Like, you aim for this thing, and then it just seems like without much difficulty, you, you lose it, whatever it is, right? It's, it's just not there. So, so, so what's going on? And throughout this series, we've had one diagnosis that we've read, and, and, and Jesus says it. He says there's something going on in your heart. Something's, something's up with your heart. It's not just simply the behavior that you're exhibiting. It's something that's reflective of what's going on in your heart. You, you swing and you miss because there's something in your heart that's, that's struggling with that. Now, we've talked about in this series, you remember those handouts I printed for you four weeks ago about this heart being kind of this narrative thread throughout Scripture. You just read it over and over again and you can start all the way back in the book of Genesis in Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 and God was so dismayed because the inclinations of the thoughts of the heart were only evil all the time. And he's like, this is ridiculous. We're going to have to start over. Who do Noah, you're our man, man. This is just ridiculous. We, gotta, we, we can't handle this. And then you get all the way to, to Moses and the giving of the law and the people are like, this is great. We love that fact God's given us this law and we're all in. What, tell us what we need to do. And God's like, man, if your hearts were inclined to obey and fear me, that would be, that would be awesome. And he knows that that's not going to be the way things play out in the history of uh, Israel. And then you get to books like uh, Ezekiel, and Ezekiel 11, chapter 19 says, man, you guys are struggling in the heart, and someday I'm going to give you an undivided heart, and I'm going to remove that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Like, someday this is going to happen. And we see that fulfillment in the time of Christ where he quotes Isaiah, and he says, hey, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and, and, and there's going to be a time where I send the Spirit, and he's going to dwell in your hearts, and he's going to change your hearts. So we, we, we see throughout Scripture that this has always been the problem, and it's always been the solution that our hearts need to change that's that's where we're starting that's where we're ending that's what it's all about so as we wrap up this series we want to kind of wrap up i want to point us to one last truth in scripture and i think this is just an incredible brilliant insight into the human heart uh, from the bible and it's in the book of proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 Book of Proverbs chapter 4, familiar passage of scripture, but I just want you to know that the author of this book, I think was a genius, I mean, made it in the Bible, so I think he was a genius, but I think the insight into the heart here is just kind of, we read it and we just kind of like, like miss the depth of the insight that he's giving us. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. This is, this is the way the proverb starts back in chapter 3. It's a father talking to his son. He's like, all right, buddy, you know, sit down. Let's have some father-son time. Listen to me. A father talking to his children. Listen to me. This is, this is what life is all about. And he, and he talks about like, hey, you know, get wisdom and seek wisdom and put wisdom in your heart and trust in the Lord. And, and he gets to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, and he says this, above all else, 
And, and, and he doesn't use this language, like, we, we speak in, like, uh, like extreme terms. We, I died laughing, and that was the funniest thing I ever saw, or I was, you know, whatever. We speak in these extreme terms, and the Bible doesn't always do that. So when we see things, like, above all else, it's important because he's telling us, like, seriously, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Um, I, uh, every once in a while you'll be in a, a parking lot, maybe at a, a park, and you'll see a sign like this um, in the parking lot, and it says something, something like this. This is, this is one from a, a, you know, a, a local park, and I, 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 you see a sign like that, and you're like, okay, you know, I, I don't normally think to lock my car, so there you go. If you ever want to steal you know, some trash out of my car, feel free. But I clean it up for me while you're at it. Um, but I don't, I don't normally think about that. But I see a sign like that, and I'm like, oh, okay. I, I, I'm going to be a little bit more aware of what's going on. Now, a sign like that doesn't get put up unless something's happened, right? They don't just put signs like that up everywhere. So, so what's happened is this parking lot has been targeted by thieves for whatever reason because it's secluded or whatever it is. And so the sign tells you a couple things. The, the first thing it tells you is the clear text on the sign. It says, hey, don't be an easy target. Lock up your stuff. But the subtext is that this is maybe a dangerous area or there's something to watch out for or there's someone who wants to break into your car in this particular parking lot. Like something has happened here. There's a reason to be on, a, on high alert, so to speak, when they put this sign up. Now, some of you I know are very aware of security. You've got like rock-solid passwords like password or one, two, three, four, five or whatever it needs, right? Some of you I know, you're just like, you know, that's, that's just all you can remember. That's every password for every website or whatever, right? Uh, I, but some of you are serious about that. Some of you make sure you lock your homes and your windows and your cars and everything. Some, you know, some of you are very, very, uh, security is a very important thing. You understand this. But now this text, go back one slide if you would. This text is very interesting because the way that it's worded, sometimes when you go from Hebrew to English, it's just there's some things that don't quite um, don't quite fit. And so in this text, when he says above all else, what he's technically saying is above all your guardings, guard your heart. So whatever time and effort and money you spend into making something secure, spend more time and effort and money into making your heart secure. So, in, you know, in ancient Israel, maybe they were guarding themselves from like lions or snakes or thieves or whatever. But whatever above all your guarding guard your heart. Above all your guarding, guard your heart. Now, I think we kind of have a sense of, of what this is about. And remember, we, this is a little bit of a refresher. We've, we've referenced this a couple times in this series. Uh, go a couple slides forward if you would for me, Thomas. But we know that the heart is, we know that it's not just simply emotions, right? Because when you say guard your heart in our understanding, it would be like prevent heartache, you know, don't put yourself out there. It, it's not talking about simple emotions. It's talking about your thoughts. It's talking about your will. And it's talking about your emotions. And, and then finally, it's talking about your life. There's four different areas that the Hebrew people used the, the word heart to describe. You think with your heart, you feel with your heart, you determine or will with your heart. But the heart is this command center of human life, and so guard it. Guard it. Now, we intuitively grasp that idea to some degree, right? Particularly with our children, we grasp this idea. Guard their hearts, right? So as parents, remember that I use this... Uh, 
three weeks ago, this was a squishy that represented the heart for those of you that are here. It's not really a heart, it's a strawberry, but it kind of looks like a heart. It could be a giant heart. Remember we talked about shaping your heart and forming your heart and how you don't just shape it by feeling a certain way or you don't just shape it by thinking certain thoughts, but that God actually has to transform your heart. But we understand. Now, just imagine this represents your child's heart, right? And we understand, and, and it's their thoughts and their will and their emotions, and we understand that it's so important to guard this thing. We get that. Um, and, and we get that for a variety of reasons, right? H- have you ever had this experience where you are maybe watching a live broadcast of a football game with your young child, and it's perfectly normal, perfectly reasonable, there's nothing insane going on, and as you're watching, the broadcast switches from normal football to a commercial, and then all of a sudden, they're promoting like a horror movie, and the music is really loud, and the volume's really loud, and you're just sitting there minding your own business, and all of a sudden, these terrifying images are on the screen, and you as a parent, it's like, ah, you got to guard my kid's heart, right? And what do you, I don't know if you're like me, but you literally like put your hands in front of their eyes or cover their ears, right? Because it's terrifying. They're not mentally or emotionally prepared to handle what they're hearing. Like you're, I'm guarding their heart. I'm also guarding the fact that they're not going to sleep for a week if they see that. Like I don't want them to see that. I want to guard them. I want to guard their heart. I don't want that to get inside them in some way and just mess things up, mess up the wiring. I mean, this happens in, in a, a variety of areas. It can be like you can be out in public somewhere and maybe the, the, the table next to you is, you know, I don't know, stereotype, I guess, but a bunch of guys and, you know, they've had a few drinks already and they're just the language. And, you know, as a, as an, a human adult, it's okay to go over to that table and say, hey, cool, we got some kids over here. You're trying to guard their heart. Or maybe you move to a different table or maybe you ask the waiter or the waitress to, you know, earn their tip by telling those guys to stop talking that way. I'm trying to protect my child's heart. They don't need to hear those words yet. I'm guarding their heart. This is, this is important. We understand it with kids. Or maybe, maybe most drastically is when a kid comes back from school and there's some other kid in their class that has just said something hurtful and mean and you can just see this this seed of a bad idea getting into their heart and you want to tell them that's not true that what they said about you is not true that kid's a dummy not you that kid's ugly not you I mean you just want to protect that and defend that heart Because you know not only does it hurt their feelings and their emotions, but you also know that that hurts their will and it hurts their thoughts. And those things that get lodged in a child's heart can play themselves out later in life. You all, every person in this room carries hurts that they've had since they were children when something sunk through and got into their heart and it's played itself out in different ways in their adulthood. We've all had that experience. And so as parents, we're tasked with guarding guard that, that precious heart because we don't want them to struggle later in life with, with something that somebody said or something that they saw or something that, that happened to them. You know that there's stuff your children aren't mentally and emotionally prepared to handle, and you know that that stuff gets through and it causes problems now, but it will also cause problems down the road. Our society even understands that idea. That's why we have the MPAA that rates movies, right? Now, you may not agree with the way they've rated movies. Anybody's parents tell them PG stood for pure garbage? Anybody? No? My parents didn't either. Gee, that's godly, but PG, pure garbage. You know, like, 
Oh, I, I don't think that's quite right. PG-13 might as well just be, you know, X-rated, just don't go anywhere near it, right? You know, we may not agree with the definitions that the world sets, but even the world understands, even without a relationship to Christ, they understand, hey, there's things that children need to be defended from. And what the author of the book of Proverbs is saying here, it's not just kids, it's all of us. All of us, our hearts need to be guarded and above Everything else that you put time and effort and security into, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Because we know when the wrong things get loaded in here, for kids, bad things happen. And we've got to like cover that and heal that with, with truth and wisdom. But sometimes things just continue to play out. Guard your heart. But what's, what's the second part of this? Guard your heart. Uh, above all else, guard your heart for everything. Everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. I think this insight is absolutely brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant, and it's going to take just a couple steps to kind of not unlock the truth there. The truth is just very apparent on the surface, but to see kind of the depth of what the author is telling us in this, in this passage. I think it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, so most of you know I'm, I'm from uh, Oregon, Eugene, Oregon, and Oregon, of course, was the end of the Oregon Trail. Most of you know the Oregon Trail from the video game, if you're about my age, right? You know, you died of whatever, hypothermia, sorry, you know, you got eaten by a snake or whatever. I don't, I don't remember all the, all the things. But that was, that was the Oregon Trail video game. But the, the end of the Oregon Trail is there, uh, there somewhere in Oregon, the Willamette Valley. It's kind of where I'm from, so awareness of the Oregon Trail. Um, so it's a fascinating history. In fact, I, I found out, I remember uh, hearing somewhere that I have an ancestor, uh, a great, 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 great something that came across the plains on uh, the Oregon Trail. I, I think if, if we did a little research, it was a Theodore Wentworth Andrews that came across on the Oregon Trail. What a great name, right? If you're thinking of having children, Theodore Wentworth. So what a great name, named after my ancestor. Came across on the Oregon Trail. Now, the Oregon Trail, of course, was dangerous. I mean, you know, you die of exposure, you die of whatever, all these kinds of things. But, I mean, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people were, were going through the Great Plains. They're going through the Rockies, ending up out in Oregon. Hundreds of thousands of people. Lots of people made it. Of course, lots of people die. Uh, but there's this one story in particular about one group that was, was just at the, they were at the very last leg of the Oregon Trail. They were on the eastern edge of Oregon in a place called um, Nyssa, Oregon. It looks goofy the way it's spelled, but it's, it's Nyssa, Oregon. And they were making their way over to Bend. This is a Google Maps screenshot. Uh, and it's only, you know, 264 miles. I mean, that's a long way because the, the wagon trains went at about two miles an hour. So, you know, you know the kids didn't have uh, phones or movies to, you know, there was no DVD player to distract them that whole way. But, I mean, it's still... So they were going this last leg of the trip, and the guy, it was about 1,200 people, the guy that was in charge decided he was going to take a little shortcut. Instead of following the typical route that everybody was following, he's going to take a shortcut from Eastern Oregon over to Bend, which is about in, in Central Oregon, and he missed. He aimed for the town, and he missed. Missed the town. Missed an entire town. How, how do you aim for a town and then miss an entire town? He just missed his, his, his compass was a little bit off. He got a few degrees off or whatever, and he just missed. They, they passed right by Bend. Forty-plus people ended up dying in this because they just ended up in the wilderness. They weren't prepared for the, the, the length of journey they were on. They just they aimed for a town and missed. Aim for a town and miss. And I was, I was thinking about that. Like, that's so similar. Like, when I aim for patience or I aim for gratitude and I miss, like, how, do, how did I miss 
how did I miss? It's something, something going on in the heart. Um, I'm going to show you a verse, okay? And you're going to read this verse, and you're going to be like, okay, Patrick has finally lost it. Uh, this is finally like where we get off the thought train with this whole thing. What is going on here? Because it's a verse in Numbers chapter 34, and you're going to be like, what is this about? Numbers 34, parts of three, parts of four. Your southern boundary, this is God speaking to the Hebrew people. Your southern boundary will start in the east from the southern end of the Dead Sea, cross south of the Scorpion Pass, sounds like a cool place to go, a little vacation time, and continue on to Zin and go south of Kadesh Barnea. I guarantee you there's not a single person in the room for whom that verse is underlined in their Bibles. Ooh, that's my life verse, whatever that means. Nobody in this room has turned that verse into artwork and hung it on their wall. Scorpion Pass, as cool as that sounds, nobody's done that. There's no Instagram posts that reference this verse. So the reason I bring it up is because in our text, that that phrase, continue on, is a geographical term, and it talks about something that extends from a point and extends a distance, uh, and it's almost always, 100% of the time, used in geography. And it's something that starts at a point and extends for a long distance. All right? So what does this have to do with our sermon at all? All right, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Guard your heart. For everything extends out of it in a long extended line is the literal translation of this verse. Go one more slide. Everything you do, the translators are like, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't, people aren't going to like quote that. Everything you do flows from it. But what the, the author used was a geographical term to describe a point of origin that extends out in a far line, way out in the distance, way out in the horizon. He says, guard your heart for everything you do extends out from your heart to a far distance. So you can see why they translated it flows or some of your translations springs. There's one translation that says your heart directs uh, your life, which I think is a, is a really good um, translation of it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it. I'm, I got an illustration for us. I've, I've had one so far every time. These are pieces of yarn. Um, I've spooled them up on paint rollers here if you wonder what's going on. I got a couple of volunteers, three volunteers. I'm going to ask to come help me. And I want to illustrate what we're talking about here because I think this is so profound, so helpful. It makes such a difference for our lives. All right, Jacob, come up here. Jacob, you are going to be, you're going to represent the heart, okay? Jacob's going to be our heart, so to speak. And I'm going to have you hold that into the paint roller. Here you Katiana, if you take that. And I want you... Uh, I want you to walk to the back of the room, and we're going to pretend that that is true north, straight back in the back of the room. So if you guys get clotheslined by some yarn, you'll know, <laughs> know what's going on, okay? Keep going, yeah, yeah, there we go, there we go, there we go, there we go. All right, all right, right straight to the back of the room, that seam right there. Let's pretend that is true north, okay? This is, this is the boundary, this is the line, this is what we want to hit, this is, this is the ideal, this is patience, this is gratitude, this is joy, this is what we want out of our lives, this is who we want to be, this is, who, this is the perfect ideal description that God has given us of humanity, of being a disciple, of following him, this is like ideal, true north, that's where we want to be, alright, very simple, alright. We aim for that, we want that, but something in our hearts, maybe some untruth, some false idea, some, some little thing gets, gets, just knocks our heart a little off course. So, Tori, I want you to come over here. You still are representing, this is somebody else's heart, Tori's heart. And I want you to take this, and I want you to go pretty close to where Rick is, kind of. Rick, sorry, you, you, you're not in any danger, I promise. 
Okay, stop, stop right there just for a second. All right, so before she goes all the way back there, she's, her goal is to follow Jesus. Her goal is to follow this true north. Her goal is to do exactly what God has asked us to do, uh, called her to do. But something in our hearts just gets a little off, just a little off, just five degrees off. Five degrees off of true north. And, and here's the crazy thing. When you assess your life based on, oh, you know, I, I, it doesn't look too bad right here. Right here, it's not too far away. We're just a couple feet off. Just a couple of feet off. It's not that big of a deal. I'm doing okay. I'm not awesome. I'm not great, but I'm doing okay. There's a lot worse people who are a lot way more off than I am. I'm doing okay. But the further you get out, keep going, Tori, if you would. The further you get out, the further off course you get. The further off course you get. So you're aiming for Bend, Oregon, and all of a sudden you're wandering around in the wilderness. And this is, and I measured this, and I'm not very good at math, so you'll have to test me later. This is right here from where Katiana Torre is. is only five degrees off. You know direction works in 360, right? You know, 180 is right behind me, right? That's only five degrees. It's only five degrees off. And if you're judging about 50 feet or 60 feet or whatever it is, oh, she's only, you know, she's only 10 feet away from Katiana. That's not that big of a deal. I mean, Katiana is our ideal, our example, our, our, you know, our perfect human, right? The, the, the example of what Jesus would want us to be and do and live the way he wants us to be. And, and Tori's only five degrees off. But what happens as her life continues to go in that direction? She gets further and further and further away from the ideal. Here, it's not that big of a deal. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Like, I'm pretty close. It's not that big of a deal. But this is what happens with our decisions. And I know your arms are getting tired, so I'll hurry this up. But this is what happens with our decisions. Like, we get off a little bit here, and then it's like train tracks. It's like, like tracks are being laid, and then this decision here informs this decision here, informs this decision here, and pretty soon, if you've experienced this, I've experienced this. All of a sudden, I am so far off from where I want to be. Because what has gone on in my heart, something got off in my heart, some sin got in my heart, some false idea got in my heart, some desire got in my heart. All right, ladies, you can kind of carefully make your way. Some of you are worried about that, I can tell. You're worried about your hair getting messed up. You can make your way down. You can just gather this, uh, this yarn up and lay it down here on stage. But what the author of Proverbs is trying to teach us is this basic truth, is that your heart directs your life. Your heart directs your life. And this is why sometimes you make choices contrary to what you want because something in your heart has gotten off. Something has gotten dislodged. Some sin has gotten in there. Some, some desire has gotten in there like we've talked a few weeks ago. Something has gotten in there and our heart has gotten off. And the further out we get, the further that line extends, the further away we get from where we want to be. Because your heart directs your life. So the problem isn't way out there. The problem has to be traced back to here, our hearts. Paul wrote about this concept, and he wrote about it particularly with wealth in 1 Timothy 6.9. But he says those who want to get rich, those whose hearts are set on wealth, they fall in temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And you could almost literally swap out riches for other things in there. You could talk about uh, uh, other things going on in our lives besides just wealth. You could talk about uh, uh, some small untruth, some small hurt, some false idea, some, some tweak, some shame. It could be lust. It could be selfishness. It could be pride, and it gets in there, and it knocks us off course. And God wants to come back in here and deal with the heart, with the heart. I've been there. 
I know exactly what that feels like. To feel like, well, you, it's like you've laid the train tracks of this decision out. And you've probably experienced this with people. You've probably had conversations with people where you're like, man, I see your life going off in the wrong direction. And I need to have a conversation with you. And it's just like, it's almost like they weren't tracking with you because their, their decisions had been laid out. And they were just blowing through do not cross signs and road close signs and bridges out signs. And you could see their life trending toward destruction and you were trying to stop them you were trying to stop them but their decisions had already been set your heart directs your life so you see why the author of proverbs says above all else guard your heart for everything you do flows from it those are profound words Bad news, right? This seems like a lot of bad news. Because some of you may think like, well, you know, yeah, I've got some junk in my heart. (laughs) What am I supposed to do about that? I want to be better, but I don't know how to fix this thing. And we remember we talked about at the beginning of the series, you can't fix this thing. That is a, a responsibility that God has taken upon himself through Christ to fix your heart. But we surrender ourselves. We lower our defenses to allow God to work on us, to allow the Spirit to transform us. What what do we do when we see our lives spooling out of control like that? What do we do? How do we deal with that? Well, the good news is that Jesus has promised to deal with our sin. So way out there in those mistakes that we made, Jesus said, I will forgive you for that. But I'm not just interested in dealing with the symptoms. I want to deal with the heart problem. I want to fix the heart. I want to solve the heart Paul the Apostle, writing to a group of people whom he loves, that he cannot be with, that he cannot guide and direct, that he cannot sit down and give specific, clear direction. And so in the book of Ephesians, he prays a prayer for them. And I think this is where a lot of us need to be. We know what's wrong with our lives. We know the choices that we've made that aren't good, and God will forgive those. Christ will forgive those. That's why Christ came and died. But we also know that our heart needs to be fixed. Our heart needs to be transformed. And I just want you to hear the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, one more time. And just understand that this is the promise that we have as disciples of Christ, that, that God will do, God will live out these promises in our lives. Just listen again as we read Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, that Christ's love extends in an infinite direction. It never ends. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is what I believe, church, is that it is deep experiential knowledge of the love of Christ, not just simple intellectual understanding, but that that knowledge that sinks deep within our will and our emotions, that sinks deep within our hearts, that transforms us. 
So when we find ourselves making choices and decisions where we find like our, the public persona of who we are and the private person of who we are in our private life is just getting so far apart and we've got we've, we've to do something to bring that back together, well, absolutely repentance and confession is called for. But knowing that God loves us and calls us and chases us with his love, remind yourself of the truth, remember to whom you belong, and let that love of God sink deep and compel you to follow him. And then the Spirit of God, we are promised, works in our hearts to transform us into the people that he has called us to be. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful. Um, we're so grateful that you have given uh, yourself, you've taken on yourself the responsibility of transforming our hearts because God, I know I speak for myself that I have tried and failed miserably to change. Lord, I have seen my life out of control and just not able to rein it in. But you have promised that you would pursue us with your love, with your grace, Lord, and, we, and your discipline. And we know that that is difficult sometimes. But Lord, we thank you for that promise. And we pray that as a body of believers gathered together in this room, that our hearts would be in alignment with you. Lord, that when we see ourselves uh, moving further and further away and we see decisions that are pulling us further and further away from you, Lord, that we would repent and that we would understand that you have an unlimited amount of love and grace for us that we see exhibited on the cross. We love you, God, and we just pray that you would transform our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.